Hello. It's been a while since I have done one of these, but I wanted to release this latest episode, which is a conversation with an old friend of mine named Iris Kulamans, who is a very interesting composer, trombonist, and performer in general, currently based out of Portugal. And uh, Iris and I have an interesting discussion about what it means to be a composer, the relationship of composition to the academy, and other topics related to those issues. Before we get to that, I just want to say this is obviously a difficult time for all musicians, artists, and performers. So if you could please remember to like, leave a comment, and subscribe to my channels. And if you would like to consider supporting my work generally, please visit my Patreon page with the link below. Welcome to Music in Mind. Music in Mind with Anthony Hello. This is my friend Iris Kulamans, who uh, is a composer and musician and a world traveler. And we've known each other since probably 2009 or 2010. And uh, we, we both did the undergraduate uh, music composition program at University of Wisconsin-Madison. And uh, that was a long time ago. Those were, it was. Those were good days. But... Uh, how how is life going for you at the moment? Uh, it's all right. Can't complain. Um, I live in Lisbon, Portugal. I've been here for almost four years now. Um, and after my after I finished my undergrad, um, I did like an arts internship and I did some other stuff. But then I moved over to Brazil. Mm -hmm. um, I think I was at the concert with you, maybe, uh, when I decided. I don't, it was um, the World Music Ensemble from the percussion uh -huh. uh, department. Okay. Oh, and at there was, yeah. Yeah. And there was like, they were playing some Brazilian music. And I was having yeah. like, a, do I want to go immediately to grad <laughs> school? Do I want to like, uh, learn other musics? Mm -hmm. And I said, yeah, Brazil's yeah. in school. Do you remember that? Uh, I, I don't remember that concert, but uh, that sounds like you. <laughs> yeah. I actually don't remember what they played, and now I'm really curious. <laughs> <laughs> it would be great if it wasn't Brazilian at all. Oh. <laughs> and you that were would just like Brazil. Yeah. <laughs> so you were in Brazil and also Chile for a while, right? Uh, yeah, I was in Brazil for a year, and then I was in Chile for a year and a half. And cool. I, I live in Spain sometimes. Now you live in Spain sometimes? Uh. Like, like I, my headquarters is in Lisbon, uh -huh. but I, I spend a lot of summers in Spain. And, oh, cool. Yeah, Sounds lovely. Cities. It's all right. <laughs> it's all right. Yeah. <laughs> so how, how about, how about your, your musical life? Um, you have your beatboxing oh, videos, which are <laughs> wonderful. I do. I love them. Thank you very much. Uh, it's very highbrow stuff. I don't know that all your viewers will, will have a really have the maturity to for it. Yeah. Who do you think my my viewers are? Highbrow. <laughs> they all smoke pipes and things like that. Yeah. Exactly. Maybe the hat. You know. Um, inside the house. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, a lot's been happening. If I go back that long, um, I'll I'll go from Brazil. I guess. Um, so, really fast. One reason I, I, 
I decided to take a break from the academic scene was because, um, well, one, I was kind of burned out. Uh Um, And two, I just felt like, like the year before I had been in Florence with you. And and then I did a bunch of traveling and went to a bunch of concerts and talked to a lot of different people. And I just thought um, the the professors that we had in university were really good at what they did. Um, Amazingly good, but it was so niche. And um, and I realized I wanted to like be able to improvise, right. be it no mm-hmm. music from other cultures, even mm-hmm. if it's not like a specialist in that, be able to to right. play it a bit. Um, and so I moved to Brazil, and um, lo and behold, uh, you can't just find a band that easily. Um, I didn't speak Portuguese. It was a small city with mm-hmm. not a lot of arts. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't like Rio or something like that, or it's in the North Salvador. I think those cities w- would have been easier for me because it's everywhere, it's in the street, etc. Right. Um, but after a while, I found a capoeira group. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the mestre, the capoeira teacher, I'll mm-hmm. say, um, he would hold like cultural events called Serenish. Um And I was still kind of burned off from trombone, but he heard, um, I played it and he said, oh, you have to bring it and you have to play it. And you, you, there's not, <laughs> it's not like a question. You, you're going to do this thing. Uh-huh. Um, and so I went there and I played some stuff and, and other people, but it was like a sharing thing. So some people read poetry, some people danced. There was a long discussion about um, the role of capoeira in the culture, la, la, la. Uh-huh. Um, and in, at the second surround that I went to, uh, there is a band called Cocazivo, like Corrosive 420. It was basically a stoner band. Cool. Um, and I didn't know it was a stoner band yeah. <laughs> because uh, I'm an idiot. <laughs> is that why? Uh, I didn't know it was Not a, a language thing. issue. Uh, yeah. Intelligence <laughs> issue. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, but they were really nice. I mean, honestly, if you're going to learn a language, talk to stoners. They speak really slowly. <laughs> they repeat themselves a lot. Yeah. They are really, really patient. And I, whenever I would just get kind of overwhelmed by all these words in my head all the time, I would just play trombone. That's great. Um, so they were kind of, they were, they saved me. They adopted me into their, their Brazilian stoner family. And, <laughs> um, and through them, I found other bands. So I started playing in like, um, like an MPB, um, like um, Musica Popular de Brazil, like uh-huh. like popular music of Brazil from like the 60s and 70s. Oh, fun! Basically, like what people know of Brazilian music now is often MPB. Right. Um, that makes sense. And I played in a few separate bands that I met through them, and mm-hmm. uh, it was a really cool experience. In the end, this is a long version. I should no, go faster. No, that, that, that's great. I mean, we have plenty of time. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and then in Chile, so my visa expired, uh-huh. uh, darn. So I, um, I went to Chile mm-hmm. and I, I don't think, I think I didn't find, I had a band that I played with, but it wasn't super organized. And I eventually decided to go to jazz school. Um, cause I felt like 
jazz was like this big hole in my knowledge and I was ashamed mm-hmm. about it. So I'd just go back to school. Um, seemed like a good approach. Yeah, I still feel that way. <laughs> yeah, I still do it too. <laughs> um, and uh, so I joined a jazz school mm-hmm. uh, and the I did the first semester, but it was it was kind of a I was a weird I was a weird cat there because I knew a whole bunch of theory, right. but not jazz not in the jazz perspective. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and you know another language, um, and different references. So mm-hmm. like, they were all blown away by my ability to read music. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm I'm pretty good <laughs> at it, you know. Um, but then uh remembering all these chord progressions or like doing all these things. So it yeah. was like a different, different skill set. Yeah. Um, but I found it, it was actually really good because even the theory class that I, I took was mostly review, mm-hmm. but one, I could learn it in another language. So like when I think of modes, I still think of it in Spanish, like conio instead of Ionian. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it was good to kind of strengthen a lot of those areas in a jazz perspective in the way that wasn't really, you don't need that. Like we didn't really need that in, in undergrad. Right. We learned jazz, we didn't learn jazz theory. We learned a whole bunch of theory, but um, not that. So that was really good. Yeah. And it was ear training and la la la. And then after the semester, I, I took private classes mm-hmm. with, um, I, the theory teacher actually in my in that school who was also the bass teacher at the school that i was teaching trombone at mm. there was a trombone teacher there and um i yeah um and then let me think then i moved to uh basically portugal uh-huh. spain for a few months first you know to check it out to work <laughs> Um, and then I went to Portugal. Mm-hmm. Um, and at first, uh, I found it quite hard to break into the scene here. I think especially academic, the academic music scene uh-huh. is, is, it's just not that big, sure. at least as far as I'm aware. Um, it is, that, took me is that what you were going for? Um, well, now I kind of miss academic music. Yeah. Not in the sense I want to do it a hundred percent. Yeah. But um, yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, yeah, I miss it. I uh-huh. miss a lot of aspects of it. It's a um, way of engaging with music that I think is pretty unique. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So I I know what you I I sort of feel similarly about missing it because I feel like most of the rest of the musical world doesn't think about music like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's really. It's a. It's a really specific yep. skill set mm-hmm. um <laughs> like <laughs> i always think of that stupid movie whenever anybody says anything like that liam neeson what movie taken oh it's it's just a dumb movie where okay that sounds like really a CIA dumb. agent with a very specific skill set or something <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's yeah dumb. um so i think the first year what did i do I eventually I found some some jams, um, which Lisbon. were in Lisbon, mm-hmm. and the first one I went to was was perfect for me then. I think they they stopped, but it was nice because they would put the chords on. They would open with uh, like 
a jam, and then they would put the chords of whatever the song was and the lyrics on a projector. And all the musicians would just look at the projector, and anyone who wanted to sing the lyrics would go and sing. And it was nice because um, if you don't want to take a lead role, you don't have to. You can just mm -hmm. be, it, it's like very accessible to everyone of all skill levels. Uh -huh. so, so I brought a, a tuba friend um, there once <laughs> when he visited me, and he had never improvised. He didn't know a lot about theory. Mm -hmm. but he, well, he knew basic theory. Um, and he was kind of nervous. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I said, okay, I just gave him like a few tips, like just play the one thing in the chord first because you're a bass. Mm -hmm. And then like once I could hear him doing that comfortably, I'm like, okay, now stick in some vibes. He's, oh. <laughs> and then yeah. and you could see him get kind of the rhythmic mm -hmm. pattern and some of the things. So it's really good and really accessible. And then you kind of forget there's an audience because they, you're looking at the projector. Oh, was this live? Yeah, yeah. Oh, cool. It was in a, like a big bar. Mm -hmm. And then um, and then suddenly, like, we take a break. I put my instrument down. And I, like, I look behind, and there's people. And if I had known there were people, I would have been nervous. So you're because I didn't know. to the people. Yeah. That's crazy. The event was for the musicians. It wasn't for the, the audience. But they still have an audience there. Uh, That's yeah. pretty neat. I like that. Yeah, and a lot of the audience people, if they wanted to play like a little guitar or they wanted to sing a song with their friend, kind of like karaoke but live, it was, it was really good. Um, and that was, a, I think, like a great way to meet other musicians. Uh -huh. So through that place, um, I started playing with a, a, well, they were all Brazilian, but it was a blues band. Um, and we play on the street. They would, and that's how they made all their money. That, that was their job. They played every day. Um, I played with them maybe twice a week. Uh -huh. And uh, it was good because I kind of re... I don't, I don't know if you had this, but from undergrad, I would be always so nervous to play and always be super critical of myself. Mm -hmm. And I could see the first like times I wouldn't make eye contact with the, with the people walking by. And if I played something wrong, in my mind, it would be like, that's probably the professor of this fancy university, and he heard that, and he's judging me. <laughs> or like, <laughs> And he's going to remember. He's going to think, who is that trombone player? Don't ever let her anyway. Yeah. I went on vacation to the city, <laughs> and I passed a trombonist, and they played a note wrong. Why didn't they sharp the fourth? Uh, <laughs> and these would be the things that I had. And then, but the thing is, then that tourist, a super judgmental tourist, mm -hmm. um, we we'll keep walking and in my head and, and then there's another tourist and they haven't heard me mess up yet. So you have so, to mess up for them too. Yeah. Just to make it even, you know? Yeah. Um, so, so it really helped me. I think like, okay, yeah, that was a mistake. Move on. <laughs> next, next customer. Yeah. Okay. That was a little better. What if you try this? Nope. Uh -huh. That didn't work. Okay. Next, next <laughs> one. That's great. I, I mean, and, like a, yeah. a workshop situation like that, where your your job isn't like on the line or something like that. Yeah, no, it was a really good place to kind of learn and be more comfortable and everything. Yeah. And then I played with an Angolan band here, um, and that was that was like uh, more intense. I had to learn mm -hmm. a whole lot of music really fast for a big concert, cool. and um, it was cool. Uh, I had a few commissions mm -hmm. from from people. Um, uh, both in the U.S. for um, Brittany Sperberg, a trombonist. You might remember mm -hmm. 
and and for an orchestra in my in my region. Um, and then, I, like in Wisconsin, you mean? Yeah. Oh, cool. The Saint Croix Valley Orchestra. Shout out. Wow, that's awesome. <laughs> Yeah, it was super fun, and it's really like a, it's a crazy experience to like write music uh -huh. on a used keyboard in your living room in your pajamas in Portugal, yep. and then and then you go to the U.S. and you have like 80 people who spend hours learning your music, and they're so earnest about it, and it was <laughs> it was it was amazing. It was a really yeah. cool experience. That's yeah. awesome. When, when was that? That sounds vaguely familiar, but I don't know. Two years ago? No, okay. maybe maybe two and a half years ago. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, yeah. The the used keyboard the used keyboard uh, idea is, is very uh, familiar to me. I I just finished <laughs> my first my first piece for orchestra that I ever finished. I had like twenty that I'd started over the last ten years. Oh my goodness. Just, like if I look through folders, I have so many, like I'm doing an orchestra piece and then I don't, I'd write like two minutes and then I give up. Okay. And how long is this one? Uh, seven and a half. Yeah. That's yeah, some, exactly. Some time. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Good job. Yeah. That's yeah. Right. It's not, it's not 20. But... Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, mine was, mine was like, uh, fairly short, I think under six minutes. Mm -hmm. or around six but they had a specific requirement so that was part of it too um yeah super cool experience i think mm -hmm. in the sense of i think we had this conversation in undergrad about um what's the point of orchestra music I like it's culturally irrelevant that's good it was like yeah. the, the undergrad arrogance um <laughs> Yeah, uh, I don't. I don't a hundred percent disagree. I don't think it's irrelevant, but I don't think it's that relevant. I think. I think, I think any time. I think any time you have, uh, like a large group of people, mm -hmm. who all can come together with skills that they spent like years, maybe decades, mm -hmm. honing, and they all come together to play this one thing in a certain way at exactly the same time. Mm -hmm. That's like that's amazing. That's a feat yeah, for sure. in itself. I yes. think. Um, that is a lovely way to describe it. Also, uh, thank you. <laughs> uh, in terms of cultural relevance, I. I mean, I think it's hard to say you're culturally relevant until after the fact. <laughs> right. Sure. Um, but I think orchestras have been around a while. Yeah, uh, but do you think? Do you think academic music in general is culturally relevant? I mean, it, it is relevant to a culture, I guess. The academic culture? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, it's, it, it's weird. It's, uh, it's a mode of thinking that is... I don't know what it is. Like, I recently got into a stupid Reddit argument with somebody about a piece of music that I was writing. <laughs> and it was it was very much this like jazz thinking versus like academic thinking. And that the person knew your music. What? The person knew your music. Is that like a a, a really focused thread on Reddit about Anthony's <laughs> no. music? No, <laughs> I wish. No. <laughs> that would be amazing. Yeah. yeah, that's the real measure of success. Oh yeah, no, <laughs> no, it's a it's a it's a it's a a subreddit that I post on sometime called Roast My Track which is like, oh, cool. I do it because I read, I don't remember who it was. It was like 
I don't even remember who it was, like Babbitt or Pendereski or something. And it was like any composer who goes more than two weeks without hearing criticism is like on the wrong track. <laughs> um, and so I do it and then people say really mean things. And then I go like, oh, I could take it. <laughs> it's really stupid. <laughs> and I like feel bad. <laughs> but what is the like the general theme? Is there a general theme of the comments or are they all over the place? Uh, they're like, all over the place. Company. I mean, this this one argument was with somebody who was clearly uh, a jazz uh, jazz musician and specialized mm -hmm. in jazz because I was I, I you know I had like a nine note mode, and I was creating chords based on kind of like a Steve Dembski system of non adjacency. I still mm -hmm. yeah, um, and so the chord was C D E G flat B. Okay. Right. So if you think about it in a jazz context, it's like a C major seven with a nine and either a sharp 11 or a flat five. Yeah, okay. Right. So I wrote out a score for it and I was trying to write chord symbols just to make it easy to read. So I called it a C major seven flat five. And this guy was like, no, it's absolutely a sharp 11. You have no idea what you're talking about. And I was like, it's not because there's no G. So it's not a sharp 11 in jazz, and it is not a sharp 11 because it's my own system. And he was like, this is the problem with new music bullshit. You think you could just make your own systems, ignoring the history of modal jazz from the 70s. <laughs> <I'm> sorry. <laughs> He's like, you've obviously been listening to like Al Miola and John McLaughlin. It's like, I have not. But... <laughs> I, 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 that's interesting. I don't think um, he's wrong, though. It's this thing, like we were arguing, and the there is this weird thing in academic music of the the culture of like creating your own system and these unique systems for unique pieces, as if you you can ignore the history of what you're doing, because even that is engaging in a cultural history. I don't know that it's ignoring. Right. Um, if anything, it could be like, uh, like maybe you're the punk following a different system, and that's a response to the old system. Uh -huh. um, and now, and now there's also a history of creating your own system. Right. Um, right. I think. I mean, I think that one aspect that he said of like, it's totally ignoring like modal jazz from the '70s. So like, it's a very specific thing you're ignoring. <laughs> I mean, it's hard to. Pay attention. I mean, you also probably ignored, right. like, uh, I don't know, Pergolesi. Yeah. Uh, what are you going to do? Well, <laughs> I think what he was saying is, like, the sound. I put, like, a drum beat under it, and the sound was from his ear referencing that. And then I wrote it out as a lead sheet with chords and a melody. And so that's also referencing a jazz tradition. Hmm. I think, I think um, he didn't really say this, but maybe he... Maybe he kind of meant it. I don't know. Um, of it is a question of why? Why do we do that? Why do we create whole new systems for for everything we compose? Uh -huh. um, also, because, like, as Dembski would say, the hegemony of the tonal system. This is Steve uh, Dembski, by the way. Yeah, um, professor at UW Madison. Not anymore. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. But yes, so uh, hegemony. Yeah. Hegemony. yeah. Oh, yes, hegemony. Um, <laughs> you know, it's really powerful. And I think I've written a lot of, like, 
like the commissions that I've gotten, for example, take the, the orchestra piece that I wrote. Um, it's for, for like a, it is like an amateur orchestra. They're volunteers, mm -hmm. um, mixed levels. Some of them are like very, very good. Um, and, but, but I have to, I have to make it playable for them. Uh -huh. That's, right, I mean, I, I'm the mercenary, they're hiring me. Uh, and I have a lot of freedom in the style that I choose to do it and what I choose mm -hmm. to express. Um, but, but I'm still the mercenary. And if I create something that they hate, I, well, one, they can just not play it. Mm -hmm. Um, two, like, I'll, it, it's not good for more business. <laughs> it's not a good business move. Um, but, but three, it's, I don't, I think it's, uh, that's part of the job. It, it depends on not every job. But I think that's and part of the commissions is you make a piece that's playable that they're going to enjoy playing. Mm -hmm. Maybe not everyone. Don't try to make everyone happy. But but that's that's implied in the contract. I think. Sure. Uh, Isn't to that a degree. also the point of academia though to shelter? Uh, well, academics, but specifically with respect to music, to shelter musicians and composers from the forces of the market, so they don't need to mm. worry about good business decisions. Uh, At least in theory. Yeah. I, uh, obviously, I, that's not true in a practical sense. I mean, it has to have something in it. Right. To to convince the university there should be funding for it. Well, isn't that the whole like Milton Babbitt thing? His 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 position at Princeton. What was his? What do you mean? That he was sort of a, a music researcher or music explorer or something. Hmm. Completely. Uh, uninterested in the market consequences. Yeah, I think I think there's a role for that, um, and I think also you should still create what you want. In mm -hmm. a sense, like if you have your own sound and people like it or they don't, right. but at least you have a sound, and then when they hire you, they're hiring you for your sound. Yeah, um, yeah, I agree. What so th it's something I struggle with also is the relationship to the audience. And it's something I think about with comedians because I think a lot of comedians who chase their audiences don't get very far. What do you mean by like let, try to please them too much? Right. So uh, I don't know, like comedians like Ricky Gervais and stuff. They they talk about how basically you just do you, and if you are truthfully you, there will be an audience. And. I wonder if that is true for music, but at the same time, there's huge audiences for music that feels to me very audience chase <laughs> I, Well, I think there's a few aspects here that we have to consider. One is if you're creating your own system for every single work you make, uh, not everyone is going to spend the time to learn your system. Uh, even if you made the whole system and you followed it for like 30 years. Um, also, because it's a, like a lot of work. If you make your own language and then write a book in it. Yeah, yeah, we don't uh, talk like that. I don't say for the purpose of this conversation is going to mean... That would be really funny. <laughs> I, would, I would enjoy that. Um, but 
but that's the point. You, and if you, if every single book that you write, it's in a whole new language. Uh, why would someone take the time? Oh my God, to learn that sounds amazing. And literally every, a new language. Yeah, it would be, it'd be complicated, you know, you know, you're gonna, it's gonna be influenced by like languages that you already speak. Like modal jazz. Yeah. Yeah. Or Klingon or whatever. Um, <laughs> Uh, okay. That'd be amazing. I'm just imagining an author putting out a book and each one is in a completely new language. Oof. And, but do you think it's, I think if no one read it, if no one read any of the books, mm -hmm. uh, does it matter? What do you mean matter? I mean, like, it depends what you're getting from what you're writing. Like if you're just putting it to exist, mm -hmm. then it's cool. But if you're putting it to exist to to for someone to understand, right. mm -hmm. uh, then you know you're gonna probably not be super thrilled with the result. <laughs> yeah, um, so I think there's that aspect to consider when we're talking about music. But mm -hmm. also, uh, for example, if you are not an eccentric person, mm -hmm. the idea of being eccentric is that you, like you have whole aspects to yourself that are l like under not like less than average less than 50 percent of the population has uh -huh. okay like maybe some people like oat milk in their coffee oat milk oak oak no oak milk oat, oat oh my gosh oat milk oat, <laughs> oat milk. milk i have a roommate who said oak milk and i i started saying it because i thought it was funny and now i confuse them that's pretty funny i was called um, goat milk so <laughs> that's another one yeah but and then maybe there's like some weirdo who likes like pork blood in their coffee so they can drink their yeah, and pork you've probably blood. just offended them by calling them a weirdo they 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 um have probably have heard it before <laughs> <laughs> on reddit yeah <laughs> roast my coffee yeah <laughs> um that's an so, intense coffee by the way <laughs> it is. <laughs> but the point is, if you have a lot of things in common with other people, if you are mainstream and you make the music that's truly you, that's not a bad thing. You make music that's truly you and probably also a lot of people can relate to it. Mm -hmm. um, and if you, if you are, and I think, I mean, I don't know of anyone that drinks coffee with pork blood. Uh, I think even like one who does, there's uh -huh. probably other similar interests. Maybe they eat chicken and I eat chicken. Okay. Right. We can, we can <laughs> write a song about eating chicken right. and we could just drink our coffee separately. Yeah. Uh, so I think in that sense, maybe, maybe the music that seems to you audience chasey mm -hmm. is just like, um, connecting on concepts that a lot of people share. Uh -huh. Um, I think that there is also a, a cynicism to the to the record industry. So when I'm talking about audience chasey music, I mean like if Universal puts out another Jonas Brothers song or something. Like that. Maybe I'm wrong. I like, don't, like the, I don't in, get like the, the sense the... that they care about expressing. I mean, maybe Sony is expressing Sony mm -hmm. by. <laughs> They're being yeah. truly themselves by expressing yeah. their desire to make millions of dollars. Yeah. The corporation is truly a person. 
when they right. can make a song expressing right. itself. And that's yeah. and that's what Sony wants us all to know about it. That it wants money. <laughs> uh, I don't know. To, uh, so I, I understand what you're saying, but I think that uh, the cynicism of the music industry is kind of a different force. Yeah, and I don't think yeah, it's just I the music industry. Right. I think it's also Broadway to an extent, and various forms of commercial production of art. Okay. And and this because because they're creating it because it's a business they're creating it to make money, mm -hmm. so they're creating it to be liked. I think so. Yeah, but I think it I, can. I, I mean, I do a podcast, so how different is that? Um, are you making a lot of money off the podcast? Oh, you have no idea. So okay, much. okay. Well, maybe not not anymore after this one. <laughs> <laughs> My corporate sponsors. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's an aspect, I, uh, for sure. I, but it really depends on what kind of music we're talking about. Mm -hmm. right. I think I think if there, someone puts out an like album or EP or something, mm -hmm. uh, it might sound like a whole bunch of other sounds. But I don't think it's because they're trying to make money. Well, it might right. be. But it could also just be because that's the music that they've internalized so of right. course they're going their their own little production will have those as influences mm -hmm. um in terms of like the industry capital i um yeah for sure i think i think it's really hard I, I i'm curious about your opinion on this i think if you try to make a project with too many people mm -hmm. i think the idea can sometimes get lost Mm -hmm. um, and especially not like the executors of ideas or technical aspects, but the 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 people really making the idea. Um, mm -hmm. For example, in, in a song, if you have 20 writers, I feel like it might be a catchy song, but it's hard to convey one idea because right. it's 20 people. Uh -huh. and, and it's possible that 20 people all have the same idea, Mm -hmm. But to communicate it and work together and be in sync of that one idea is, is I think, much harder than one or two. Um, right. That being said, if you're putting out, like, a massive level of promotion and recording or whatever, of course you're going to use more than one or two people. That's a separate thing. But in, the, in terms of forming the idea, I think it's really hard to capture, like, an essence of a feeling if mm -hmm. it's written by 20 people. Right. I mean, I think that there is a little bit of that in used in an artistic way, especially in like rap songs where they'll have featured rappers come in and sometimes the the guest rapper, the the direction or the tone or the content is pretty different than the song at large. But I think that's different as well because uh, except when maybe towards the end of the song, then they like do things on top of each other. Uh -huh. uh, for each moment, it's just this, like, it's this concept. Right. And now the featured artist is in this concept. Mm -hmm. It's not like um, 20 people trying to all say the same sentence all at the same time, but something is lost. It's, it's like those, uh, what, what did we learn about? The, those, those old motets where they have like multiple texts that are completely different on top of uh -huh. each other all at the same time? And one goes forward, one goes backwards, and one goes half speed, slow speed. 
it's such a it's such an insane idea to me to have even two. Like I'm reading one book and you're reading another book at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's weird. It's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Do you know if there's some equivalent to that in academic music where like 20 people co-compose a piece of work? Um, I don't know. I mean, what comes to mind is Beckett. Uh, I think he has plays where there's sort of these streams of dialogue happening on top of each other. Hmm. Okay. Um, co-compose. I mean, there's co-composed pieces. But not like 20 people. Well, right? I don't like, know, like a, like a free improvisation, like a Cecil Taylor big band or something. That's a lot of streams happening at the same time, or it can be. Yeah. I, yeah, in theory, why not? Right. I think if, if everyone uh, is, you know, if, it, if they're paying attention to everyone else, uh -huh. And they're focused on the concept of whatever they're creating. Uh, if it can happen in improv, surely it can happen when they're writing it out and they're not in a rush. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, I'm, I don't know. Uh, different. Do you mean something like we're different, it, like a fugue, and each composer would write their own voice or something like that? I don't know. I don't know how it would manifest. Right. I, um, but that being said, I, I just because like we sometimes write academic music, I sometimes feel like there's a bit of pressure to, uh, to bash pop or something. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I think a lot of it is really well produced. Uh, way better than anything I can do. <laughs> I mean, one, I don't know how oh. to produce. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, I agree. I have, no, I have no idea how to get anywhere near that level of uh, and, and And it depends on the song. I think some songs, like the lyric express that concept. I think it really depends on the song. I'm I not going to bash, bash the whole genre. <laughs> there, uh, um, there's a, a YouTube channel I follow. Um, he's a producer and musician in Atlanta, I think, named Rick Beato. And uh, he was reviewing the New York Times musicologist who reviews pop music. Okay. And uh, there was a funny statement about a Jonas Brothers song where it, um, it was something like the, the drum break in the Jonas Brothers song was the most um, like indescribably funky thing they'd ever heard in their life. Wow. And I was like, that is an amazing thing to say about a Jonas Brothers song. Yeah. I couldn't like... And then they like go on to talk about the history of funk music and like Clyde Stubblefield, and they were still saying this Jonas Brothers song is like the funkiest thing ever. Did you listen to the song after? Yeah. <laughs> it was funny because um, Rick Beato talks about how it's really weird to call it funky because this drum break in the Jonas Brothers song is obviously exactly quantized. Huh. So like. So it is possible is exactly to describe. Under. It's not indescribably funky right exactly and then if you look at like a clyde stubblefield part the tempo fluctuates because it's not quantized yeah and so it, i don't know it's just funny to to think of uh to think of the idea of something fluctuating as being less funky than something computerized conforming to a grid it's a funny idea yeah
I don't know the Jonas Brothers very well, so I don't have a strong opinion. Yeah. They're brothers, I assume? Uh, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> In the biological sense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so are, are you writing music a lot now? Uh, kind of. I, I, at first, basically in Lisbon, for a long time, it was all just playing. Uh -huh. I think before the pandemic, I had a, like, probably everywhere, but definitely here, the busy season is mm -hmm. right now. Like, late spring, up through all summer and mm -hmm. fall. And then in winter, it kind of slows down. Um, there's a ton of tourists in Lisbon, so playing on the street is kind of common, and you can make, like, you can pay your bills with that. Wow. Um, but you also, but there's a lot of, like, there, I play in, like, a, the Invisible Tuba. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, like, a trad jazz, swingy cool. little combo, like, with banjo and sometimes some, oh, fun. Uh, like, like, uh, it's a cool, it's a cool group. We have a tuba player. It's um, a washboard, you know, um, <laughs> and, and I have a lot of fun with them. Uh, but all, all those gigs are canceled for now. But I was, I was busy playing with people, I guess. Mm -hmm. yeah. And if you, that's like the, the, the main one. And then they'll be like, there's like a, you know, Georgi Bang, he's like a Brazilian musician, mm -hmm. um, MPB. Um, okay. I played in like a Georgi Bang cover band. Cool. There's um, a woman that I'll probably play with when it opens up at the end of September, um, outside of Lisbon. But I was just all playing. I didn't have time, extra time, I guess, to, to compose. Uh -huh. um, but I also didn't exactly have like commissions rolling in. <laughs> uh, no one was like, okay, commission for you, another one, another yeah. one. Um, especially because I think all my like academic music contacts are all in the US. Uh, so I don't really uh -huh. have that here. Mm -hmm. um, but I got, as I, I talked to you about the orchestra one, the Britney one, there's another one. Um, I wrote a piece for, for Liz, the bass player, Liz Clausen. Mm, yep. And a cello player. Uh -huh. And um, and I talked to a cellist here who just, because I like to make, you know, make sure it's like I'm writing what I think right. I'm writing. <laughs> uh, uh, and so there's a lot of things like, okay, but it might get played here. It'll eventually be played by Liz. Yeah. Um, she was and on the podcast then, too. Yeah, cool. And then there's, um, I might write a piece for um, a professor in the US, but it's not like for a trombone choir, mm. um, but it's not confirmed yet. So okay. I won't, I don't want to jinx it, you know. <laughs> um, I really miss composing. I was surprised uh, because when we were studying, it was like, I always had to push it out of me. Because yeah. it was always, I was always seeming like, not late, but like, okay, I have to finish this piece Yeah. by next week. Oh, and I'll end this piece. And it was always go, go, go. That um, it was kind of nice to not have that uh, pressure. Mm -hmm. um, but now I'm like, yeah. Ready to go back to compose? Viewers of the podcast. Um, sorry, I said you weren't highbrow. I was joking. If you want to give me commissions, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> uh, definitely do that. I think uh, I have one listener in Croatia. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. So what about what about academia then? Do you wanna do you wanna go back? That's a great question. I, I, don't, I don't think it is. <laughs> I have mixed feelings. 
Me, I me, think me three. <laughs> I I applied for a program in uh-huh. it's in four different countries. I'll just say in the European Union. Uh-huh. And when I found the program, I thought, oh my goodness, this is this is made for me. Uh-huh. Like it's for performers, it's for composers. It has an element of improvisation, uh-huh. of technology. You don't have to do all four if you don't feel like it. Um, each semester is in a different country, in a different university, so you make a ton of connections. Uh-huh. Um, uh, I was more interested in the like technology improvisation than the traveling, mm-hmm. um, but but it seemed really interesting. And they only take applicants every two years, only eight people. Um, so I waited a year, and then I applied for it. Um, and I, but the they give you like a score of the things, and I realized that they didn't take my bachelor's into account. Basically, I think, oh. they, but they didn't. It they didn't email me about it um, because that's like a a certain minimum score, and then everything mm-hmm. else is is like your interview and your whatever. Was is that extra. just a mistake? I don't know. And I didn't know it at the time um, because they didn't say you need degree equivalency. But the point is I didn't go. And and I was kind of, I don't want to say relieved, but like uh-huh. I didn't have to make the decision. Sure. Because yeah, yeah. what had happened in the, like the, the time since I had waited uh-huh. was that I was looking at all the professors who were super knowledgeable, had all fancy resumes, and I was listening to their music. And I was listening to their music and I, it's like I could I could hear how self-aware they were, uh-huh. how how the placement of each note and the way and the thing was mm-hmm. really good. Um, but I wasn't super excited yeah, I know about making music like that. Mm-hmm. And and that's kind of a, a dilemma because I think I do really I like school. I like learning. I like yep. studying. I like teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, there's like there's like a little academic iris inside of me, um, but but I also if I'm looking at the professors who's gonna who are gonna teach me music, and I'm not like thrilled about the music that they're doing, that's yep. uh, not a great sign. Yep. Uh, it might yeah. be good for my resume and for connections, but I also like. Also gives wanted, you time with support to work. Yeah, it does. Um, and one thing that's different here than in the U.S. is that a lot of universities, if you want to teach, you only need a master's. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, and experience and whatever. Right. Um, but so that's that's another aspect. So I might still get one mm-hmm. uh, for the connections and and for. But I don't. I don't know. It's kind of a dilemma. I've also thought about studying music production. Uh-huh. Um, I, and for that in the field, I talked to a few people who studied it and worked in, in that, and they basically discouraged me from studying it formally. Um, I think don't need to. Yeah, they said with the same amount of money, you can you can buy some good equipment mm-hmm. and watch a bunch of YouTube tutorials and yeah. and go from there. And so I think in that sense, like that's not an area where you need a degree. Mm-hmm. Academic music, you do. Because it's academic, it's in academia, so they like it. When yeah, you, you go there, you visit it occasionally. Um, so it's kind of a, a 
a dilemma because yeah. there's so many aspects of it that I like, but I also would feel a bit of a poser. Yeah. Um, also because almost all the music that I make now has nothing to do with that. Mm-hmm. It's like uh, jazz or mm-hmm. or maybe uh, contemporary, but mostly tonal music. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe experimental in other aspects, but um, nothing super crazy. Um, so I don't know. It's a bit of a, a dilemma. And if yeah. I make, although maybe it is I, crazy for uh, an academy. But. Yeah, and if I make academic music here, like alone, it like for for what and for whom? <laughs> yeah. It's like uh, I don't know. There's a bit of a dilemma. Yeah. How about you? If you could only make academic music, mm-hmm. would you want to? I don't know. Uh, I mean. First of all, I don't I don't love thinking about my music as I don't know I don't know what academic music is. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't I don't think that even even the Jonas Brothers music doesn't have lots of thought put into it. I just think it's put into different areas. What's put the thought is put into different areas mm-hmm. or what? so it's not put into pitch class sets. Uh, uh yeah I mean. Yeah, they, they, they have different goals, they have focus on different things. Mm-hmm. But there yeah. is arguably more work put into it. I yeah. don't know. Uh, so that distinction bothers me a little bit. But I also n- know what you mean. And there's that thing where if somebody says new music or academic music or something, um, some people say they don't know what that means I have a sense for what it means although it's a little bit hard to describe yeah um, like yeah usually dots on paper usually most people won't like it <laughs> <laughs> I don't know there's um I hate to turn this topic with you I know I know how you have like a love-hate relationship with semantics uh, I but- I love it. Well, yeah, it is. Okay. Yeah, you're right. Love-hate relationship because I also don't think that word the meaning okay. of words matters. Yes. Okay. Good. Sorry. <laughs> so this part, you're still the same. <laughs> there's, there's. Um, I think it's called cognitive in the field of cognitive semantics. Uh-huh. There's different ways of classifying information, uh-huh. and um, really interesting, especially for you. Uh, <laughs> but, but basically, like in a more traditional way we could organize information in kind of a hierarchical way. Uh, so this is like, this is like produce. Okay, fruits and vegetables. Right. Okay, fruits. Defined as blah, 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 blah. Yep. Banana, apple, uh-huh. da, 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 da. Um, and then there's another one that you can't do for in the same way. For example, let's say you have a family, mm-hmm. uh, like two, two parents and three kids, and maybe they don't all have brown hair, they don't all have brown eyes, right. they don't all have like big noses. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they look at the common characteristics. Mm-hmm. And so if you have three of the five common characteristics, then it can be said that da, da, da. Right. in the case of the family, obviously maybe 
<laughs> you have those characteristics and you're not family. Um, so, but it's often used when we're defining like words. For example, like the, the big example given is like, how do you define a mother? Uh -huh. Because it might not be a biological mother, so you can't mm -hmm. say that. It might not be a, a caring mother, mm -hmm. so you can't say that. Because it's a very general word. Right. So you can make like common characteristics that people associate with the word. Right. Let's say six or seven. Mm -hmm. And if someone has five of the seven arbitrarily, um, then they are probably indeed a mother. And if not, some people probably consider them it and it's a source of confusion. Right. Uh, and so it sounds like you're doing that with academic music. Uh, uh -huh. of, so people don't like it. That's like a common characteristic. <laughs> yeah, there's, it does sound like I'm doing that. Yeah. There's a bunch of dots, you said? <laughs> dots, yeah, it's always dots. Yeah. Yep. Um, maybe some curves. Probably. Like lines or curves. Mm hmm Okay. Anything else? <laughs> Anything else? Wood paneling on the walls. Okay, okay. Is it usually played in institutions of higher learning, such as a university? <laughs> such a, yeah, probably. Yes. Hmm. This is good. <laughs> yeah. I'm wondering which of these things would would create the most confusion if it wasn't present, though. Like if you didn't know we we're well, like what you were saying is if there's like seven characteristics, if something has mm -hmm. five or six of the seven, most people would probably put it in that category. But if it only has three or four, there's some confusion as to whether it fits into the category. Yeah. Um, well, we can't. It can't be like a, it might not be like a visiting musician because sometimes universities bring in like right. like Nepalese drumming or jazz or or something. Well, that's um, the thing is I feel like entering, if, if it has all the categories, but you add some new characteristics, that can quickly make things confusing. Like, say, an electronic drum machine. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, we don't know where we are anymore. Yeah. It's also hard because I think we are, everyone is trained to listen to music in a very specific kind of way. Uh -huh. um, and I was... I was having this conversation uh, with a friend a while ago, and actually I noticed this as well when we did, when we were in that composer ensemble. Um, I think it was the my trouble times. It was like electric guitar. Are you piano, talking about our our ensemble? From our undergrad. ensemble, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was listening to one of your pieces from that ensemble the other day. Oh boy. Okay. Oh boy. What was it? Oh boy. It was, it was the one with singing. Ah, dolphins are non-human yes. persons. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, that had some good moments. I like that. Not a, yeah, not a good. great. We did, um, we we did sped a up a lot in the recording. Yeah, yeah, we did. <laughs> but but um, yeah, I like the piece actually. Yeah, Anyways, nice trouble times. Um, trouble times. I had I a trombone student, and he and his mother went to that concert, and I remember they made a comment of like, they enjoyed the concert, la la la, and and something about the electric guitar, how in their minds, it, you could see like they didn't perceive it as classical or academic ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. because there's an electric guitar. Right. And, and it made me, well, I picked electric guitar because I was, we had these instruments available and that was the sound that I wanted. And because yeah. it, it, it was, for, for me, it wasn't trying to make it sound less classical. It was just, that was the sound that I wanted in that piece. Right. 
And, uh, and that was really interesting. But I also notice other people do the same where it's mm -hmm. like they're hearing things I don't hear. Right. Um, I mean, I think it's the same as the I'm ignoring the jazz history argument, or it's a similar issue. It's associations and his, like historical associations with sounds and instruments. And stuff. Yeah. Um, and I was like, like my boyfriend studied recording, so mm -hmm. he'll listen to the song and be like, oh, we can see by the the drum beat. This is clearly like a seventies drum. Listen for this and this and this. And uh, like it was recorded in the 70s. Uh -huh. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. this is recorded in the 80s. It has a sound. And it's true that once he points out, listen for these aspects, I, I can hear it. Uh, and it's, and, but those are things that I, if I didn't know, I don't know that I would have paid attention to. Right. Um, or if you're like, like, I remember, I don't know if you still do, but back like 10 years ago, <laughs> You struggled with um, voice leading, not doing voice leading. You, I'm, I'm sure you, you're, you're, you did voice leading correctly, but understanding <laughs> the, the utility of it. A voice leading, really? Yeah, because, because you were like a, a rock guitarist and you were used to power chords. And so be like, here's a chord, here's a chord, Interesting. here's a chord, here's a chord. And That's I think really Connor, weird. Yeah, it's, it, that... It doesn't even sound like the me I know now. <laughs> yeah. That's very but strange. I, everything actually, is voice leading to me now. It helped me because I meet guitarists who do that now. Yeah. And then I'm like, oh, yes, I've had this conversation before. <laughs> yeah. Wow, um, I'm like ashamed of myself. I hate that. <laughs> but, but it makes sense because you were so influenced by the music that you were playing right. and listening to that other aspects seemed like kind of pointless yeah no i mean it's um, definitely it, it has to be true at some point because if i look back when i was in high school trying to write orchestra music i just wrote chords and so like all the parts would jump around <laughs> and i had no sense for the idea that it's about smooth melodies in each voice yeah i just had no idea and i remember going to a, a Mahler symphony concert with megan uh -huh. Um, our mutual friend, our, <laughs> our mutual friend, and um, and she was so aware of what the harpist was doing. Uh huh. And I'm like, there's a harp. It played a harpy line. <laughs> this is my perception. Yeah. yeah. Uh, did what harps do. And then there are the part Just where, like yeah, <laughs> exactly. And then there are the like a uh, a scene. No, like a moment. Um, when the trumpets left and they played their part uh, like backstage mm -hmm. to represent like coming from the underworld, I think. And, and, and she didn't really, she was confused. Like she didn't hear it or she didn't understand it was backstage or whatever. And, and to be fair, it's like a really long concert. But I... Mahler's second symphony? I think so. I don't remember. Um, and, and, but now I think it's like, if it's not even, even you can go to the same music school and you can both study classical music uh -huh. and her, her listening skills are totally different because right. she had to play mm -hmm. totally different music. Mm -hmm. And she can, she, well, like she did all those like crazy polyrhythms. Um, and I just never need to do that because I'm uh -huh. like a one note at a time kind uh -huh. of instrument. Um, 
And so it's, I think then it's really asking a lot of people. If, if you ask music majors and they hear differently, uh, not just because of the instrument, but because of like the type of music that they're playing, we're asking people who don't play instruments to be like, listen to this song. It has its own system. It's, yep. it's, uh, it's a lot. <laughs> oh, yeah. That is true. But I think that, I don't know. I, I also think that a lot of a lot of composers, or maybe not, I, maybe I shouldn't speak for other people. For me, if I make a, a new system for a piece of music and somebody hears something different, I'm happy if they're actively listening. Hmm. I'm happy if they're hearing something. Do if you think not, it's your responsibility? Like, oh, when can we go get a drink? Yeah. <laughs> Do you think it's your responsibility as a composer when having a piece of the new system to teach it or or mm -hmm. present it in a way where the listener can, can get it? I don't think it's my responsibility. I try. I think of my music as extremely simple. Um, in that if if I make a new system, I'll usually write a piece of music that I see as literally just something as basic as a one four five or okay. one four five one in that system. Yeah, resolve it. Come on. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but that like my uh, I feel like I always do that, and maybe I do it too much, but. I guess, that's, a, I guess that's a way of reaching out. It's trying to be like, there, there is a way of hearing this in, if you zoom out from the specific notes in a simpler way. Yeah. There is a, like a visiting composer that came to UW when you were mm -hmm. there. I don't know if you were there for that day. Um, and he said something. He, his music was like, a, he did a commission with the, the wind ensemble. And was this I, DJ Spar? Yeah. <laughs> I remember yeah. yeah. And and I remember his his chord progressions were really slow. Um not unlike uh, my stoner band. Uh <laughs> completely different music. Uh, -huh. uh but but it would be like we're on one, you know, have a cigarette, um, start smoking first, you know. Okay, now we're on four, ten minutes later. Yeah. I'm exaggerating. But right. he said something um, like, I want all my songs, all my music to be happy. And, and at that time, you know, this headstrong 21-year-old uh, in academic music, I, I thought, I was like, <clears throat> I really didn't like that idea. <laughs> uh, yeah. Why it, it seemed too audience chasey, mm -hmm. as you said. And, and now I'm like, you know, is it really that bad? There's a lot of like, there's a lot of dramatic music. There's a lot of sad music. There's a lot of mm -hmm. depressing music. Uh, it, it's so bad. You go to YouTube and you put in a name and you know what you're going to get and it's going to chill you out. Uh -huh. uh, and at the time, I, I kind of judged him for uh -huh. it. And now I think um, it's actually an intriguing idea. Not mm -hmm. that it has to be happy, but but that is a fundamental rule of what emotion you're trying to get across. Yeah. And it has to be the same emotion. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that idea? It's a weird rule to have for yourself. I think any 
any system that's too rigid becomes a trap at a certain point. Hmm. Um, I maybe, maybe he's just so joyful whenever he's making music that that's just what happens, and it's just so natural. But it, to me, if I had a rule like that, like I want all of my music to be angry or something, it would feel false sometimes. Yeah. And when you're composing, do you think about the emotion you're trying to express or the more like the concept? Um, I don't know. I guess I don't see a, str uh, a hard line between an emotion and a concept, especially in a musical setting, since it's so metaphorical to begin with. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It really depends. Sometimes I'm just experimenting with a system, but lately I think I've been trying to be more expressive. I feel like I have this problem, and part of why I like academic music, even though I completely dodged your question earlier about academic music, uh, part of the reason that I like academic music is because it allows me to not express myself. <laughs> It's yeah. sort of, it, it allows me to hide in an I in a construction. I I am a bit conflicted about that because basically everything I do now is always trying to express the emotion. And if the notes get in the way, simplify. Right. If if something is too complicated, simplify. Yep. But mm -hmm. this is the goal. It's always trying to express an emotion. Right. And and that's like uh and like listen to the people you're playing with you know <laughs> so have a unified sound la 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 yeah. um <laughs> uh but there is an aspect of i of composing i would say whether it's academic music or or not that i really enjoy of just exploring a concept mm -hmm. um and there might be emotion associated with it Right. And but it's a bit of a conflict because I do think like emotion should be number one. Are you expressing it or not? Yep. How can you express it clearer, yep. in a better way, uh, more concisely? Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, I like I like like Sudoku. Like you have an idea and you're yep. flushing right. it out, flushing mm -hmm. out all the details, giving it to musicians. Um, so it's a yeah. Let's let's assume that they can combine them. Like we can combine both the concept and the emotion, right? Uh, because then we can have everything. Right. Well, I mean, I think if you, if you think of great great novels or great paintings or something, there is some combination of technique and expression. Yeah. And overly technical, non-expressive pieces of art are interesting, but sort of strange in a way. Yeah. Because it also feels a little fake or something. Or it's like it's made for the the students of art, but not yeah. like the Yeah. Enjoyers of art. Yeah. <laughs> we need we need to do another another podcast sometime soon because actually it's making me think of the movements in like AI music and stuff. Huh. AI okay. creation of music. But yeah. Um we we have over an hour of material, yeah. That that's great, yeah. But I like this idea of expressing. Is it because my latest project I'm working on is exploring the idea of hiding? Okay. And and how you can all of the different things you can hide behind musically. Hmm. Put a lot yeah. of reverb on. You hide flaws in your technique. 
It's amazing. Oh my goodness. Yep. I'm discovering this. I'm working on an EP. We will see how it goes. That's great. And That's but it's so it's so different than performing and it's so different than composing. Like uh it's okay, isn't that, it composing? Uh it's different for me because I'm not writing out each individual part. Uh -huh. I record yeah, yeah. like a guide yeah. and things like that. But also the recording process is different. The things that uh, a lot of details he just covered up. He put some reverb yep. and I can spend three hours trying to get the perfect take. And if I'm honest, after I've done like basic mixing, mm -hmm. I can't hear the difference. Right. So, so it's a really, it's a different thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. Cool. All right. Um, so is that coming out? Do you have a date or anything? That's, or is it just a process? <laughs> um, to be determined. Okay. Sounds good. Yeah. Well, hopefully in a few months, but we'll see. Okay. Uh, yeah. Cool. Do you want to play something? To wrap uh, this up? Sure. Sure. <laughs> one, one moment. All right. Okay. So quick sound check. Okay. Here's a trombone. Yeah, uh, it's distorting a little bit, but it's okay. Okay, I can play it a little bit more away, maybe. Okay. And then um, my egg shaker. Oh, yeah. And then <clears throat> my kazoo. <laughs> <laughs> Love. Is the sound okay? That's great. Yeah. Okay. Right. So, quick question. Yes. What's the meaning of life? No. Um, do we have a concept with this improv, like a unified idea we're trying to express? Or do we not talk about that? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think just trying to connect musically over Zoom is good. Okay. Unless you have an idea. If you have an idea. No, I don't. I, I mean, I can... I can come yeah, up with one, a but, but... okay. So let's connect over Zoom. <laughs> um...
<laughs> well, that was cool. We should okay. uh, we should do another one at some point and and continue with the discussion. I feel like we uh, we got to some places that we should explore more at some point. Okay, <laughs> let's do it. That sounds yes. good. All right. Well, thank you. Thanks for being on. 
This is yeah. Iris Kulamans. Um, if you send me links and everything, I can put stuff in the description so people can find you to uh, commission you for new pieces of music. Okay, <laughs> great. Uh, thank you so much for the invitation. It was yeah. super fun. And it was good to reconnect with you and play with you. Yeah. All right. Talk to you later. Okay. Bye-bye. Thanks for watching or listening. Please remember to like, leave a comment, and subscribe. And please consider visiting my Patreon page if you would like to support my content generally. Bye. Mm -hmm.